how to change people that you think are impossible to change, how to transform your own identity, how to override your own self-doubts, what most coaches are doing wrong with their clients, the importance of brutal self-honesty, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number 483 with executive coach and co-author of You Can Change Other People, Dr. Howie Jacobson. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Best You Podcast with me, your host, Nick Carrier. At Best You, we exist to help individuals who are hungry for growth get closer to the best version of themselves so that they can live meaningful and impactful lives. Are you somebody who really wants to improve your health, but you're just overwhelmed with all that life is throwing at you? Are you somebody who knows they want to feel better in their own skin and be more confident in their body and be a good role model for those around you? If so, you need to get access to my brand new video course called The Three Steps to Losing Fat and Building Muscle. You're going to get a grocery list, a week's worth of workouts, and a list of healthy snacks and sweets to choose from. And you can get all of that for free today by going to nickcarrier.com. Today, I am really excited to introduce you all to Dr. Howie Jacobson. Howie is an executive coach, a coach to health coaches, and co-author of a number of books, including You Can Change Other People, Sick to Fit, and Whole rethinking the science of nutrition. Today, you guys are gonna learn from Howie about how to change yourself and about how to bring the best out in those around you. You're gonna learn so many different great strategies, so get ready to take some notes. So without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Dr. Howie Jacobson. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. I am super excited today to be joined by the one and only Dr. Howie Jacobson. Uh, Howie, just want to start off by saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today. I'm thrilled. I can't wait. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I, I know that I'm I'm going to get so much out of this conversation, and I know that a lot of people who are listening are, are going to as well. And one of the things that has really impressed me about you and really interested me about you is kind of the different array of things that you've done. So for example, you know, you co uh, you were a co-author of the book You Can Change Other People, you were co-author of a book Sick Sick to Fit, co-author of the book A uh, Whole Rethinking the Science of Nutrition, uh, and then you have your your Plant Yourself podcast and so you're kind of like nutrition, a little bit of fitness in there and then this kind of behavioral stuff and there's a lot of different things that you've done so I'm very interested in kind of like the trajectory of your career and how it's all kind of like worked together to a certain extent. And so I kind of want to start there and then we'll probably dive into a little bit more like granular stuff on you can change other people and, and behavioral stuff. But I want, I'm just interested in you and your career. Talk to me about kind of how the trajectory has gone with regards to where did you start off and then how did you bounce around doing these different things? Yeah. So in hindsight, I could, I could make a story that makes sense, but at the time... <laughs> It it really didn't. It was just sort of um, you know like me trying to drive five different cars at the Indy five hundred. <laughs> yeah, um, I I was always interested in in health and fitness ever since um, my first job out of college was a um, teaching intern at a fancy private day school in New Jersey, and coming out of an elite college, I was all about the intellect and. I I really kind of looked down on like physical education. Like, you know, I loved sports and playing it was fun, but like that wasn't a serious thing. And 
I, I had to be put on a, on a team. One of my assignments was I was like the third offensive coach for the the you know middle school football team. And football is one of those sports that I never ever wanted to play just because I could see with a you know the joint trajectory. And luckily, after the first game, the entire team was disbanded after a bad behavior after a loss. They they apparently mooned the other team and on the bus on the way home after losing. And so then they were like, well, we got to do something with these kids. So you take them. And the only the only sport that I really knew how to play really well was ultimate frisbee. So I started teaching ultimate frisbee. And a lot of the kids who are now in ultimate, in, in the, on the football team were the same kids that I couldn't reach in the classroom. Like they weren't, you know, intellectually curious or that maybe they had reading difficulties or the subjects never, never interested them. And I, I found on the playing field, there was like wisdom. There were people, you know, there was body intelligence. And so it really humbled me to like how much value and intelligence is in the body and in taking care of the body. And at that point, I'm like, you know, like when I went to school, elementary, junior high, high school, physical education was basically, okay, let's pick teams for softball. And you don't want to get on the team with like the kids who are just going to stand around in right field and pick dandelions because you're going to lose. <laughs> and, then, and I realized like, that is such a waste. Like physical education should educate us to have, you know, good relationships with our bodies so they can do what we want for them so that we can take care of them. And so that kind of started a lifelong interest in, in health and health education. Um, I went to Temple University, got a master's in public health and a doctorate in health studies. And then I didn't know what to do with myself <laughs> and I didn't have any money. So I, th I, th I thought like, maybe I should go into the corporate world and teach like health and like distressed people. And, the, you know, I was completely naive. I thought I could just like show up, like knock on the door at Merrill Lynch in Plainsboro and say, hey, I can help your people be less stressed. And of course, you can't do that in, in corporate America. And I ended up connecting with a friend, Peter Bregman, who had started a coaching company. And I'd realized that as much as I was giving people great information about health and teaching them all the things they had to do, as you said, the X's and the O's, they weren't doing it or they weren't sticking with it. And so for coming across Peter and his work, coaching became the, the missing piece for me. And that's, you know, everything else I've done has kind of come from a confluence of those those two things. Yeah, that's awesome. So I kind of want to I'll, I'll use that to kind of transition nicely into You Can Change Other People, the book that you wrote with Peter. So talk to us about what was the kind of inception of the idea that this book needs to be written? Yeah. So there's this view that everybody says, like, you can't change other people. You can only change yourself. And there is truth to that. And there is validity to that. But we take it too far. And we take it to mean, well, you know, if I, any time I've ever tried to change someone, it, has, it hasn't worked. They got angry at me or it didn't stick or... You know, they complied for a little while and then stopped and it soured the relationship. And so like one thing that we, we had realized very early on, like Peter and I are both coaches. He's been coaching since the you know early 90s. I've been coaching since 99. And like that's, that's what we do for a living is we change other people. That's what you do with your 10WT. You change other people. So if we if it's true that we can't change other people, then what are we doing? <laughs> We're just collecting paychecks for, for nothing. 
So it's like there there are ways, and and you know you can change other people is a pretty provocative title. Yesterday on a podcast, somebody used a phrase that I wish we'd used for our title, which is bringing out the best in others. Mm. All right, I was like, oh yeah, that works. That works better without the uh, the blowback. Yeah, well, but it's one of those things where book titles have to be grabbing and have to have to have to catch you. But that's what the intent was. That was yeah. That was that was the idea. It's like like let's really grab them with this provocative statement. But you know the, the truth is that people don't resist change. They resist being changed. They resist giving up their autonomy. If you went out and you grabbed ten random strangers off the street and said, "Hey, I'm going to transform you in ten weeks," they'd be like, "Who the hell are you? Get away!" But when they come to you and say, "Nick, I need something," you know, or "I'm struggling," then all of a sudden you have permission. So like the first thing, the most important thing to do is to get permission to have change conversations with people so that it doesn't become this dynamic that they hear of, oh, you're criticizing them because they're not doing something right. Wow, that's so good. So getting the permission and having them kind of be the decision maker that I'm ready to make a change is, is the first step in making sure that they actually will have the ability to change moving forward. Yeah, if you, I mean, I don't know if you've ever get people who sort of like sign up, but they don't really take ownership over it. And yeah. they're like, you know, like you, I, you know, I read your your sales letter. It's got great stories and great videos, and people could get excited and think, "Wow, Nick is magic. He's going to transform me." And I bet those people have to have a mindset shift in order to succeed. Let's say somebody thinks they're ready to change, and then they begin a process. And then they become resistant to maybe specific ideas or specific strategy or they become to to question the methodology that they are following to implement that change. What's the best way to communicate with that person so that they can still make the positive change? Yeah. So in a case like that, I'm usually looking for what's underneath it. It usually isn't something like, oh, well, I thought Nick's uh, methodology was right, but I realized, no, that I shouldn't be doing planks. I should be doing side planks, right? That's that's an right. excuse, right? That the, the the real issue is is could be a number of things. One is like, okay, I, I, everybody wants the result, right? But no, nobody wants the pain that goes into getting the result, the sacrifice. Like I remember a, fa a fabulous... Um, interview right when um, Goodwill Hunting came out, and Robin Williams and Matt Damon are being interviewed, and 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 Matt Damon had just then signed up to do Born, so he was like really buff. And Robin Williams goes, "Boy, I would do anything to look like that, except eat right and exercise." <laughs> That's awesome, right? So, so part, you know, in, in a case like that, I really want to help somebody get clarity. Like, what do you want? Okay, you thought you wanted a thing. Well, there's no there's no commitments that you can't walk back on. Like, oh, mm -hmm. you really don't want this. Or, you know what? This mountain that you got really excited about is actually too high for you to climb. Your your internal thermostat of who you are doesn't allow for you to be up there. So, what could what are some small steps you could take? Right? It's it's not a one-day transformation, it's a 10-week, right? So there's 70 small steps rather than a giant leap. Mm. That's great. Um, one of the things that you said was your current thermostat doesn't allow you to kind of act up here yet. And so I've heard some like plenty of people kind of use the thermostat analogy when talking about your identity. Like a guy that I listen to a lot is Ed Milet, and he talks a lot about how if we 
believe that we're really this thermostat, but we're trying to get there. We're never going to be able to get there because we're always living at a lower temperature. We're always living at a lower threshold. And so one of the things that I have always been thinking about is how do we transform our identity? Like you've mentioned the 10-week transformation. I really believe that my goal over their over the 10 weeks is to help them transform their identity, transform them into somebody that they have not yet been in the past. And the way that I look at transformation of identity is personally, I, I look at it three different ways. One, it's who you tell you who you tell yourself you are. Number two, who you tell others you are. And number three, what you see yourself repeatedly doing. Like to me, that's kind of what forms our self-identity or how we view ourselves. And I'd be interested, I'd be interested to hear how can we increase our thermostat? How can we increase or elevate what our personal identity is? Yeah, it's a, such a beautiful question because it's a kind of at the heart of all change. Um, so one thing I believe is that we have to be courageous, right? Because if I want to change my identity, I have to do things that are by definition outside of who I think I am right now. Mm. So I want to help my clients titrate that so it's not terrifying. So they're not, you know, jumping out of a plane or giving a speech at the United Nations. But, <laughs> you know, maybe they're jumping off a chair, Right. I, I saw that photo of you like doing some crazy leap on a stage somewhere. I was like, what the heck? Was he going up? Was he coming down? Right. Like if I looked at, if I thought of myself doing that, I'd be like, okay, you know, just had the crutches ready. Right. Because I don't see, you know, that's not how I see myself right now. Um, so one thing is to is to challenge your identity. And the self-talk is really important. And I take a, a kind of different tack than a lot of people because I don't try to override my doubts. I don't try to tell people like make affirmations that argue with yourself, right? Because I've had too many affirmations where I say something and then the back of my mind is like, you're full of it. You know, that's not really true. So I use the, I use the self-talk. I'm listening like, oh, you know, I've always been this way. Like I'll never, I'll never change. This is the, this is who I am. I'm like, great, listen, listen to that and create, make it a different character. Like you can, you don't have to turn off the radio, but you have to understand that it's a radio and it's not your thoughts, right? These are programmed into you from childhood, conditioned by society, from your, you know, your learning experiences. So all of us have crazy thoughts, right? All of us walk around and if people could hear our thoughts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they think we're all psychos. So there's nothing wrong with having thoughts like I'm a loser, I can't succeed, but then we want to like get distance from it and defuse a little bit and unhook and say, okay, so one of the tricks I tell people is when you, when you hear the thought, I'm a loser, reframe it, rephrase it and say, I'm noticing the thought, I'm a loser. And all, and then I ask people like what that does. And it's like, oh, wow. Like there's space. Like, yeah, it's a thought. And now the question is, how do I want to act? Who do I want to be? I can, you know, if I have to, if I have to wait to get rid of the thought, I'm a loser before I act, I don't know how to delete thoughts, you know, mm -hmm. short of a sledgehammer and brain damage. I don't know how to make you forget anything. Right. But yeah. I, but I, but I can help you put it in a context where it's not the only thought. It's not the thought that's like a hand staring at you in the face and you can't see anything else. Yeah. That's great. I think that separating, like I think what you call it, the rate, like radio. I think separating the thoughts that you're having, saying that 
it's not necessarily you. It's also, it's just this external thing and you need to separate yourself. And that allows you, like you said, the space to just acknowledge it and then identify whether or not you're going to act with, uh, with an alignment with whatever that radio is saying. And I think that's so empowering to be like, wait, I don't have to act with what the radio is saying. I can act in a differently from that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the second one you mentioned is what you tell others. And I don't, I see that as action. So you have, you don't have control over your thoughts, but you do have control over your actions. So one of the things that people tell me a lot is they notice that I have a tendency to self-deprecate. And, and I always thought it was just like, gee whiz, charming. <laughs> and people are telling me, you know, it's kind of annoying. Because <laughs> now <laughs> I feel like I've got to argue with you or, or commiserate with you and stop it. You're fine. You don't have to do that. So that becomes an opportunity for me to notice, okay, so this is a diagnostic. The way I talk to other people and the way they reflect that back to me indicates that there's some thoughts that still hook me. And then I get to, I get to work on them. Like, okay, so, you know, what would prove, you know, if, all right, if I'm not a loser, what would I do in this situation? And then I have the freedom to make choices. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. One of the things that I know you guys talk about, uh, talk about in your book is ensuring that accountability and follow through happens in or like on their own rather than necessarily needing a, a coach or somebody to be on them, constantly holding them accountable. And that's just something that we hear so much in the fitness fitness industry in particular as like, oh, I just have to go to a fitness class. I just have to have a trainer. I have to somebody hold have somebody hold me accountable. And I get it. And it's what gives me a job to a certain degree. But I'm like, you can't always rely on that because it's not always going to be there. And so talk to talk to us about some of the principles that somebody who thinks that way about themselves right now, somebody who thinks that I can I just can't hold myself accountable, I need somebody else, what's the approach that they can take to begin to work out of that? Yeah, well, one of the things I, I try to help people develop as a as their coach is what I call what we call future proofing or resilience. Knowing that whatever you can do now, the world is going to give you a bigger challenge. All right. So if you are perfectly set up to do you know, your three three morning workouts a week because you've got a class that you're going to, and all of a sudden the 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 instructor you know gets a day job and can't do it anymore, or the class time changes, or or whatever, then you know you're you're very non-resilient. So it's fine to to use like I love taking classes, you know, exercise classes with other people, and it, it helps motivate me. And there's a lot of you know good research on the you know group movement actually, you know, helping me experience less pain and more joy and time dilation and stuff like that. And if I'm noticing that, okay, so when this goes away, I don't do it, then I have to say, well, you know, who do I want to be? Like, may maybe it's okay. I only do it when, you know, the when the, the stars align. But if that's not what I want, if I want to be more resilient, then as a coach, I would, I would help them Think about, well, what are some other things I could do? Maybe it's not an hour-long workout. Maybe it's a 5K jog in the morning. Maybe it's getting on the exercise bike, right? But so, to, you know, to not make things impossible, and there's nothing wrong with having things be easy at times, right? Right. But just to, to understand what's, you know, what are you, what are you leaning on that might not be stable for you? Yeah. So, so you're saying it's 
for people who feel like I can't hold myself accountable. It's thinking thinking ahead of time, thinking future-proofing by being like, okay, when this is gone, when I don't have this level of accountability anymore, do I still want to exercise? Do I still want to do this? And then if the answer is yes, which it is for most people, what can that look like if I don't have as high of a level of accountability? Is that kind of what it sounds like? Yeah, I was, yeah the, the idea of contingency planning is huge. Right. Because you, so many people like, OK, everything's going great. And then I went on vacation for a couple of weeks and I completely dropped my routine or it was my birthday and I dropped my routine. I ate something. Right. So to help people think about you know, everyone wants to be optimistic. Right. And optimism is wonderful, except when it blinds you to potential pitfalls. Like, you know, a military leader wouldn't create a campaign assuming everything's going to go right. Right. So we create um, what we call when-then plans or implementation um, intentions, right? Say, okay, so what's likely to get in the way? And we, we think about it in advance. Like, okay, this is likely to get in the way. Um, what might you do? What might you try in that, right? And we're not, so we're not saying, okay, this is the solution, but we're saying we're thinking about it and we have an experiment to run if that's, if that's the case. Yeah, I think I think that's so I think that's so important because I think oftentimes in advance we have a oftentimes a pretty good idea of what's going to come up whether it's something practical in your schedule that might arise or whether it's an excuse that you might come up with whatever it is I think it's very empowering to realize that you might know what what obstacles are going to present itself and therefore you can come up with a pretty accurate contingency plan that that might work very well. So before we hopped on your, I know you're coaching other health coaches so they can transform their clients' lives and such. Talk to me about some of the things that you teach them, some of the principles that you teach other health coaches that allow their clients to execute consistently and eat right consistently and and exercise consistently and, and follow healthy habits consistently. We'll be back to the interview in just a second, but first I wanted to share some words from a participant of the 10-week transformation. At Best You, we started running the 10WT back in January of 2020 and have since had 313 people and counting go through it. They've seen their bodies get stronger than ever before, they've seen the stubborn fat finally come off, and they've seen their habits dramatically improve. And honestly, more than anything, they've seen their self-confidence skyrocket. If you want to learn more about the 10-week transformation, then you can go to nickcarrier.com slash 10WT. That's nickcarrier.com slash the number 10WT. We'll get back to the show in just a second, but first, here's what they had to say. I'm Lindsay, and I recently finished two rounds of the 10-week transformation, and I initially started because after I had kids, I continued to work out a couple of times a week, but I was pretty inconsistent, and I knew that I needed just new habits. I needed to regroup and form some long lasting habits that I could carry long term. Once I started, I just, I was nervous about the 5 a.m. workouts, but I did it anyway. And I'm so glad that I did because I think that you can really surprise yourself with what you're capable of doing. So I jumped right in and the workouts are challenging, obviously, which is great, but honestly, the accountability is huge. Um, You not only have Nick holding you accountable, but you have a whole group of just 
amazing people who are trying to achieve their goals alongside of you. And that is huge. And it's something that was so important to me. And I didn't realize that that was going to be so important to me until I had it. And that's really the cool thing. So after I finished my first 10 weeks, there was significant improvement. Just seeing how much stronger I got really, I mean, just gave me so much confidence. Just do it, it's awesome. You won't regret it. You're gonna walk away with a whole community of people that you did not know existed and that you're gonna be so thankful for. Just do it. Yeah, so the one thing, even coaches have a, uh, a nasty advice habit, right? So we'll ask some questions, but then as soon as we think we know the answer, based on maybe nothing or based on our experience or based on a tiny slice of the context that we're working in, we'll say, oh, you could try this. All right. And then we've, we've taken away ownership and we've <clears throat> removed accountability and we've um, taken away their ability to brainstorm and come up with things on their own. So one of the things I talk about is like, think about, so you're going to have advice. It's just like those other thoughts. You're going to have them. And turn them into curiosity. Like if you tell me, okay, you want to do X, and and I'm like, oh, well, that's obvious. Just get up half an hour earlier. And I think, okay, if it was obvious, Nick would know. Nick would have thought of it. So what's going on for him that might make that impossible or make it something he hadn't thought of? So I might talk about your sleep, right? How do you feel in the mornings? Right. Rather than jumping in with, you know, get up half an hour earlier. Right. Well, you got a newborn, you know, you're up from two to four every night. You don't have. Right. So we have to figure out something else. So that's that's one of the big things is to really withhold advice. When you do give advice, make sure it's like a vitamin, like something the person can't take on. You know, vitamins like vitamin C, humans can't make it. So we have to get it from the outside. So if anyone can 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 create their own advice endogenously, I don't want to give it to them because I'm stealing their autonomy. Yeah, and I think I've always found that when people come up with the ideas themselves, they just take ownership over it 10 times more and they're just like more likely to execute and follow through upon it. I think that's so good. I mean, one of the things that I've heard from people talk about is great leaders don't necessarily give great answers. They know how to ask great questions. Right, right, because you know, le leadership is not micromanagement. Right. So, I mean, I also work in the corporate sector with a lot of uh, executives in high tech, which has not had a great quarter. <laughs> um, there, you know, there's they're pinched. There's less people to do more work. Um, the street is, is you know, snapping at their heels. And if they tr as leaders try to double down and just do twice as much work, they're going to burn out and they're not developing the people in, in, underneath them. Right. So it's, it's, you know, talk about a scary thing to do. If you have risen in this organization because you're the one that everyone comes to for the good ideas. And now you're indispensable in your current role. Well, indispensable is supposed to be a good thing, but now you can't be promoted to your next role because there's no one to replace you. And the people below you have less ownership because they don't understand the whole picture. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, one of the things I'm curious and is a little bit of your fitness journey or your endurance running journey. And know that you've completed uh, three 50K races, four marathons, and a bunch of half marathons and, and 10Ks. And I, I want to hear from you because I think that 
endurance both with health and fitness and in life is such an important thing to be able to have. I think that endurance is kind of like the ability to establish a level of intensity or a level of work ethic and then be able to sustain it over a prolonged period of time. And I think that's super critical to be able to have both with health and fitness and just with our careers and relationships and everything like that to be able to establish a work ethic and be able to maintain it over a long period of time. So talk to us about some of the things that you do when it comes to some of these distance runs to allow you to maintain both mental and physical endurance. So um, what I learned this, I started, I got into um, endurance running because of Josh Lajani, who's my co-author for Sick to Fit, mm-hmm. um, who, and when we started coaching people together, we created a program. And so some people would come on and they would complain about their diets, like, like oh, I've slipped. And I would immediately want to talk about their diet. And Josh would interrupt and say, how much movement are you doing? And in every single case, the diet slipped when the movement slipped. So mm-hmm. one of the things I realized is like, as you said, like you know, in physical endurance is one of the greatest builders of all kinds of endurance, mental, emotional, psychological. Right. So, and, and, you know, because like, if I say, okay, there's a Snickers bar <laughs> you know, at the checkout counter at, at Home Depot you know, like resist the Snickers bar. You kind of have to resist the Snickers bar indefinitely forever. Every time you go there, it's like no Snickers bar. But if I say, I want you to run up this hill, you know, there's a a top to the hill. Like, okay, I can do this and then I can stop. So it's a Mm. much easier way to to think about endurance. And it's a great metaphor. Now, what what you might notice that I totally ducked your question about my own fitness habits right now um, I've been injured and I decided that um, that long distance and ultras are not the thing I need right now. In, f- in four days, I turned 57 and a half, which is no, which is no excuse, but I am thinking about like, and that's been a hard thing. Cause like I, I developed this identity as an ultra runner and to say, well, I have a higher identity as an athlete who maybe doesn't do ultra running. So right now I'm a, a over 50 ultimate Frisbee team. So we, you know, we scrimmage a couple times a week and um, I've begun a Qigong habit. So I'm experimenting with like very different things. And to be honest, the cardio, the endurance has taken a little bit of a backseat. And I have to look at that and say, well, now is this, is this a season? Is this part of, you know, periodicity or is this me being lazy and justifying it? And so like one, one of the things that I, I train, I teach coaches is, what you really want from your client is brutal self-honesty. Yeah, no doubt. Um, what's Qigong? Qigong is, uh, if you've heard of Tai Chi, which is like a, a yeah. martial art, Qigong so is, is is the non, is the, the foundation of it, a series of like Chinese move, um, movement patterns to grow energy. So I'm, I'm studying with a guy who has a sort of a legendary past with this great master in, in China. Um and it's really interesting because the movements are slow and they feel easy. And there's, you know, you, you you look at me and you'd have to kind of really watch to see me moving. And it's a different kind of endurance. Like it's almost mm-hmm. like part of my brain, my Western brain goes, well, this isn't doing anything. And then to realize like, this is a 2,600 year old tradition. Like these people know something that you don't. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. I'm excited to hear uh, more about your experience with that at some point. But uh what you said, I'm really glad that you 
mentioned it because I know some so many people experience something similar. So, you know, you had talked about how in the past you were doing a lot of runs, ultra runner, and you had this identity of being somebody who was an ultra runner and then now you're injured and so you're having to redefine what success looks like looks like in the health and fitness area of your life. And a lot of people have setbacks, challenges, injuries, whatever it is. And some of them happen for a week, some of them happen for a year, some of them happen for five years. And I think it's really important to be able to have the agility to redefine success and what that looks like because some people get so worked up that they're not able to do the same habits that they've done in the past because they know those have worked and they know they know those have made them feel really good and now they're like, oh, I can't do that anymore. I'm, I'm going to be so screwed. But it's like, no, just like take some time and, and redefine what success looks like in that area of your life. So tell us a little bit more about kind of how you've navigated the, that process of this is no longer how I can define success and this is how I've transitioned out of that. Yeah. So one of the things I thought about is like, I, I want to win at life, right? So I have to figure out what that means, but I think everybody wants to win at life. <laughs> and the way I was taught, like the way our culture teaches us to win at life is to be, you know, rich, hot, you know, <laughs> beautiful and popular, right? So I'm aging. I'm going to be 60 in two and a half years and four days. Like, I can look and see I'm not going to be this hot for <laughs> forever. Like I'm, I'm, you know, like bodies decline, you know, the idea of being, you know, attractive and being popular, like older people tend to either, they kind of hold on to this sort of adolescent dream and just, you know, go kicking and screaming into decline and death, or they develop something else. And I believe that the part of life that I'm entering holds things for me that require me to transform, to say, okay, you know, it's great. Like I know people who are still running in their 70s, 80s, even 90s, but you know, they're not doing it necessarily to for ego reasons anymore. They're doing it because it's like what their soul tells them they need to do. Oh, I need to represent that this is possible for older people. So kind of that's what I'm looking at. Like what what does me winning look like over the next 10, 20, 30 years? Mm, that's good. That's good. Now the second to last question here, Howie, I want you to talk to somebody who is wants to who is who's trying to make a change. They really are trying to make a change, but they feel that it's gonna be really hard because the phrase that you used earlier, I've just always been this way. I've always maybe been a little overweight. I've just always been like this. I've never been able to do that. I've never been able to do this. I've always been like this. I've tried, but oh, it's just never really panned out for me. But they they they're really wanting to make a change. What do you say to them to spark something different? Because if they've always been this way, something different has to happen. So what would you say to them to create that different action or create that different belief for themselves? Yeah, so there's a few things. One is, so when people use language like I've always been this way, or this is just how I am, I'm not a morning person, right? I, I'm, 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 you know, I have a sweet tooth. I'm predisposed to overweight. So I invite them to try a different phraseology, to say something like, up until now, or in the past, dot, dot, dot. And, and ask them, like, say it and listen to yourself saying it. And ask, first of all, does it feel as true or truer? Because a statement in the present, like, this is who I am, it's very tricky. It's actually a statement looking at the past about the future. <clears throat> right? So it's, it's based, I call it past permanent. And so if I, we say, if we break that and we say, 
okay, up until now, this is who I've been. So that's that's one thing to just help them loosen up the language and just catch themselves. And so being able to make that that change in their own mind and say, like, which which one supports me more? Are they, if they're both true, if they're both true, <laughs> which one do I prefer? I think that is so key. I've, I've actually used that a decent amount with some of my clients. And a specific example is I know somebody who I've coached. She said one weekend that, oh, like my husband's going out of town this weekend and I just know I always fall off with my nutrition when he leaves town. And I was like, hang on. it's all, That's how it's always been. That's not how it's always has to be. It's going to be that way if you just continue to say that and you continue to live with it, live in that. But you can change the narrative of the story simply by changing. I think, gosh, we, we so often underestimate the power of our words, the power of what we say to ourselves and the power of what we tell other people. And if we can just realize that it does have huge power and usually it does lead to the actions that you take, it can just completely change our results. Yeah. Yeah. I call that misfortune telling. And I can't remember, the, I can't remember the thing that I thought, but I can, I can remember a new thing, which is like one of the reasons you know, your client thinks it's hard is she's now imagining 48 hours of nonstop temptation. And mm. God, how how exhausting is that? That's like the you know the Western states, <laughs> right? It's like a hundred mile race. Like that's that's top level endurance to be able to not. But the truth is, there's only a couple of moments that really matter, mm. right? Like let's say she's driving home from work and she's either going to go left and go to the supermarket where she gets produce, or she's going to go right to Seven Eleven. And get a, and get a big gulp and a, and a cruller or something like that. She only has to worry about the moment when she has to decide what lane to get in. Mm. Right. So I would set up like bright rules at that point. Like again, the when then plan. When I'm driving between you know on Prospect and Vauxhall, I put on my signal when I pass the bakery, and go and and do and go right. That's just who, what I do. And that's that's much easier than I am not going to go to the 7-Eleven. Yeah. Right. So I want to help, help people identify just there's a few moments. I think about it. My, my, my visual is like imagine an elephant in stilettos. Like if the elephant is stepping on the ground, the ground isn't going to go in. But if they really, you know, take all that force and apply it to a very small area, then they can mm. get a lot more done. Mm. That's good. That's good. Well, Howie, before I ask the last question, I just want to acknowledge you. I first off, I think your how you started off your career at like doing the football coach thing, and I, I think it's really cool how you've been able to navigate your way th way through it to where you are today, being doing all the different things that you do. And I want to acknowledge you for all the wisdom and all the knowledge that you've acquired and, and possessed over the years to be able to spread that to so many individuals to be able to make a change in their health health in their life, and now to be able to exponentially grow that by being able to influence coaches and, and change the way that they impact people. Um, I just know that it's going to continue to have such a great ripple effect. So I wanted to acknowledge you for that. Well, thanks. And right back at you for the work that you do. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, you guys need to make sure you go learn more about Howie and, and get the book. You can change other people. You're going to absolutely love it. I know you guys who listen to this show are going to absolutely love that because not only do you maybe want to impact and, and influence the people around you, but you probably want to make a change in yourself. And I know that the book will help you in doing so as well. And make sure you follow him on Instagram at ask Howie. And he's got a podcast as well called plant yourself podcast. Is there any other good place where people should go learn more about you, Howie? That's about it. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, good deal. Well, last question is I think that in order to get closer to the best version of yourself, I think it's a constant journey. I don't think that we ever actually get to that best version. Uh, and I also think it's a unique journey. I think the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So this last question is for you personally. If there are three things that you could currently do or three things that you could currently work on to get closer to that best version of Howie Jacobson that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? Ooh, this is this is a moment of vulnerability. <laughs> let me take let me take that question seriously. So I think one is like really, as I said, really um, getting clear on what am I willing to do around cardio endurance work because it's 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 been slipping. Um, another is so I've been I've been very fortunate that like oper- business opportunities have always just sort of landed. But I've never been sort of strategic. I've never treated my career as a business. It was always like, okay, what am I going to do now? And I think that there is value in uh, in me focusing much more systematically on on what I've got and what I want, and and looking for looking to get help from other people. Right? I don't mm-hmm. know if you if you do everything solo. I'm guessing not. I'm guessing you didn't print the posters behind you. <laughs> You've gotten. <laughs> And I, I tend to do everything myself. So I think reaching out for help and then, and just sort of like, I have a, a kind of a pessimistic streak. I think, you know, it just sort of is like in my nature that the thing I think of first is often a negative and really not indulging it. And instead remembering that the purpose of us being here is to love and to serve. Mm. Damn, that was good. That was good. Those were very well thought out. I know it was put you on the spot, didn't prepare you for that one, but those were very well thought out. And you could tell that you've thought about those before and, and hopefully are, are going to and, and have been intentionally working on those. But uh, that was awesome today, Howie. I know somebody, people got some great things to work on and, and think about with regards to transforming their identity, transforming their habits, transforming the way that they speak to themselves and, and speak to others about themselves. And so I know that so many people got great value today. So y'all make sure you go get the book. You can change other people. Make sure you follow him on Instagram at Ask Howie. But Howie, that's all we got today. I appreciate it, man. Man, thank you so much. It's been really fun talking to you. As I mentioned, I was a little bit under the weather when I came in, but now I'm beaming. Let's go. I love it. That was a blast of a conversation with Howie. There were so many great things in there that will help you change yourself and it'll help you bring the best out of those around you. Remember, if you're overwhelmed about what you should eat, about how you want to feel more confident in your skin and you need a way to satisfy your sweet tooth in a healthy manner, then go get access to my video course called The Three Steps to Losing Fat and Building Muscle at nickcarrier.com for free. And remember, people don't resist change, they resist being changed. And step number one is getting their permission. It's ensuring that they decide that they want to change first. And remember that in order to override our own self-doubts, simply acknowledge that it's coming from that radio. Acknowledge that it's coming from something separate from yourself. And then ask yourself, do I want to act in alignment with that or not? And lastly, remember to switch your words from it's always been this way to in the past it's been this way. Because then it allows you the ability to create a new future. So if you can be open to change, 
if you can override your own self-doubts, and if you can change the way that you speak to yourself, then you'll continue on the path closer and closer to your best you.